0: to uh, Bill Ressler, I'm not finished with you yet. <laughs> now, I wanted to acknowledge your family and special friends who are sitting down here with us. Would you stand so that we can welcome you? Thank you. I know that you can be justifiably proud. Uh, we have a luncheon at 12 o'clock And downstairs in Fellowship Hall, we've asked you to sign up, but we understand sometimes people forget and wish that they had signed up and didn't. We've made allowance for you. So if you didn't sign up, we have places for you downstairs, unless three-quarters of you come that we weren't expecting, we're in trouble. But otherwise, we should be okay. So at 12 o'clock, please join us if you would like to, and there will be a, a time of open mic during which time you can share how Bill has been an encouragement to you. And, uh, for example, I'll tell you one quick story on Bill being an encouragement to me. One of the things that Bill used to do was he used to hang out in the Northex between services. He used to do that because he would look for somebody coming along who perhaps needed a word of encouragement, somebody who needed to be uplifted or built up, or somebody who just needed somebody to listen to. I wouldn't be surprised if he still does that, even though he's not officially in, in, in the role of chairman of the elders. But I think... In my mind, can you imagine if everyone in here were like that? Can you imagine the love that would flow here, the encouragement of being together with one another? Because Bill was somebody who never came in order to receive. He came to give. He came to give his worship to the Lord and of himself to the folks here. So my comment would be similar to this, that Bill is a godly man who does absolutely love the Lord, but he also loves every one of you every one of us. And uh, now I'm going to let you off the hook. Let's pray and we'll look to God's Word. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that it is truly your Word. Thank you that you've honored your name and your Word, and we desire to do the same. And I pray that you would help us now as we look to see something that for some of us may cause some deep introspection. Some of us may have to ask ourselves the question, Am I really a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, or have I been playing along? So so help us, each one, to be honest, and help no one to be confused, no one who is genuinely saved to be confused into thinking otherwise. We thank you for this now, and thank you what you'll do in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn together in the Scriptures to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, we're going to look at the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils, which is probably even a a better way to put it. I'm going to read the 23 verses that encompass this. Matthew 13, beginning with verse 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. They withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you? Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes, note this carefully, they have closed. They've closed their own eyes, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. This is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Now go back with me, if you will, please, to verse 1. Look at the exciting prospects for the Lord Jesus in verses 1 and 2. It looked to be a great time to play the crowds. It says here, great crowds gathered around him and then they massed all together. And then it says the whole crowd stood on the beach and one of the things that happened was that he got in the boat and sat down and they all had to stand up. Want to try that? I'll sit up here and you stand and we'll try to enact this as closely as we can to what it was then. Uh, No, we won't do that now. But it looked to be What conventional wisdom would say for the Lord Jesus now, this is the time for him to be PC. This is the time for him not to offend anyone. You've got the crowds. Now keep the crowds. Don't say anything offensive in any way, or you might lose some of them, but Jesus wasn't really interested in that. That was not going to be what Jesus would do at the expense of truth. How could the one who is truth ever stoop to tickling the ears Of his listeners. So the Lord Jesus was not going to be politically correct. The Lord Jesus was not going to take his message and dilute it so that nobody would be offended. I'd like to summarize this parable right now rather than at the end. Some of you won't be with me at the end. Um, Let me summarize it now. I think this is very, very important. In fact, this is a quotation from John MacArthur. Of four soils, only one is good. Only one produces fruit, and only one has value for the farmer. The rocky ground and thorny soils are pretenders. The soil along the path is an absolute rejection. Fruit and foliage is the mark of true salvation. So we have fruit and foliage, the true mark of salvation. Now, what that means... That means that Jesus would be offending three out of four groups represented in those soils. That means Jesus was not playing to the crowd. He wasn't playing it safe. He was going to tell three out of those four groups that they were fruitless. Therefore, they were not headed for heaven. Lord Jesus didn't care about the numbers. He cared about the truth. Now, think about that, though. If one group is not going to be offended, that probably, almost certainly, was the smallest of the four groups. It had to be, because we're told in the Scriptures, if we were to look at something like in Matthew chapter 7, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. Many are going to go through the wide gate and they're going to be destroyed. Uh, we can see that in this parable. So even though one out of four groups is going to show fruit and will end up in heaven, that could be a very, very small group. Because it goes on to say in Mark seven fourteen, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So the Lord Jesus may have just offended a lot of people in what he said. I want you to picture the following scene to help us see the parable in a little different context. This is going to be kind of a parable on a parable. Imagine that the ultimate goal in life is to have clean carpets. Imagine that there's nothing more important than having your carpets clean. There's, There's nothing of any rank anywhere that's more important than that. Now if you can imagine that I am a salesman and I'm selling vacuum cleaners. My vacuum cleaner is state-of-the-art. It makes coffee. It babysits. It even picks up dirt. Well here I am and everybody in the world wants clean carpets. I've got the best cleaner that anybody has ever imagined and I go to the first house and I knock on the door. There's a man. He sees me selling vacuum cleaners. He isn't very nice. He tells me to leave. He even tells me to never come back again. I don't have a chance with this individual. Photography by Rich Sharp, by the way. I go to the second house. There is a very nice man. He gets all excited about the vacuum cleaner. He wants to buy it right away. And he does. Next day, I get a call. He wants to cancel the whole order. Can't take a little persecution at home. His wife eventually got home and saw the vacuum cleaner. She reminded him that they have a perfectly good vacuum cleaner already. They don't have $500. The guy couldn't take the heat, and he caved. I go to the third house. And this woman seems very interested, and I'm glad it's the woman now. She's the one who's going to make the decisions. I don't have to worry about the husband going back and the wife vetoing what he says. She's very excited about it. But just when it's time for her to sign on the dotted line, a salesman comes to the door telling her she can make millions by selling his product if she just puts out a little bit of money for the starter kit for this product. Starter kit costs as much as my vacuum cleaner. And she wants the starter kit more than she wants my vacuum cleaner. But she says the vacuum cleaner is very nice. She would really like it, but her priorities are such that she would rather have the starter kit and the chance to make millions than to have clean carpets, as important as clean carpets are. I come to the fourth home. I sell the vacuum cleaner to a couple. They love it. They have friends. They tell their friends. They buy vacuum cleaners, and it just goes on and on and on. I hit the sweepstakes, so to speak, of the four. How many people actually bought a vacuum cleaner? Only one couple. How many were close? I would say two couples were close. How much money did I make from those who were close? I didn't make any money from them. Keep that in mind as we go back to the original parable that is here. Large crowd gathering, people coming from town after town, but not many of them were going to buy vacuum cleaners. Not many of them were going to end up showing fruit for the labor of the sower of the seed. Not many then, and I dare say not many even now today. There are three important clarifying questions. The sower went out to sow his seed. Who is the sower? It's a question that we need to know. Who is the sower? He actually could be anyone. He's anyone that plants the seed of the gospel of the word of God in the heart of someone else. The prototype, of course, of all sowers is the Lord Jesus. What is the seed? According to Luke 8.11, the seed is the Word of God. It says it clearly. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. Here in Matthew, in verse 19, he refers to it as the Word of the kingdom. It is the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know who the sower is. It's anybody who shares the seed, the seed being the Word of God. And the third question, what is the soil? The soil illustrated the human heart. We see that again in verse 19 here before us. It says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, does not understand the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. So it represents the heart of an individual. And quoted here on the screen, Luke eight twelve, The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts that they may not believe and be saved. So what is the soil? It is the hearts of human beings. The Word of God is sown. It should take root. Unfortunately, it doesn't often take root. Now let's trace what happened to the seeds and what all of that means. First of all, the seeds that fell along the path. Seeds that fell along the path, and we see them described in verse 4, and then later on the interpretation is given in verses four, or 18 and 19, and for the purpose of analysis, I'm going to join them together. Uh, I'd like to usually go by the outline that it is in the Scripture, but I think we'll understand this a little easier if, if we uh, draw that analogy. So the seeds that fell along the path, the question is, what happened to those seeds? And verse 4 tells us, They fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Now let me tell you something about Palestine. Palestine was covered with fields, but no fences and no walls. Can you picture that? They didn't do what we did. What they had instead were paths that they walked on, obviously, but also delineated the borders. And so as these boundaries were there in narrow paths, the method of sowing by broadcasting they didn't plant the seed. They broadcast the seed. They either threw it or in some way distributed it by, by putting it into the air. The soil on the paths would be beaten hard, packed down, uncultivated, never turned over or loosened. And so the continual pounding of the feet on those paths would so compact the soil that the paths would be as hard as pavement. And any seed that the farmer threw beyond the furrow and onto the hard surface could penetrate the ground, could not penetrate the ground. It would be there simply to feed the birds. Now, let me give you an example as we look at the uh, screen up here. You can see that uh, we've got all four types of the soils that are here. This would be the ultimate test of what we're talking about now. This is a path that was even beyond the beaten, muddy path that w- at one time would have been a dirt path. And then we've got the thorns, and then we've got the rocky ground, and then we've got the good ground where the soil would produce many crops. So what we have down here is a picture of seed being sown. That's the word of God being sown by a sower, but it's falling on this path, and the birds are coming and taking it away. That's what birds do, right? How many of you have bird feeders at home? How many of you have seeds in your bird feeders? We, that's all we have in our bird feeders. That's what they do. They eat the seeds. There's a picture of something that some of you may recognize here. It's called the Mitchell Corn Palace in South Dakota. Anybody ever visit that? Uh, a lot of you. Okay, we've, We visited that as well. Any of you visit it real recently? Yeah, that's what I thought. I was getting a reaction down here. I had to read that. Did you like it? (laughs) Okay. Um, We enjoyed it when we went there. But the walls of the Mitchell Corn Palace exhibit beautiful murals every year. And the scenes include birds in flight, Conestoga wagons heading west, Native American, teepees, rural settings, and this year even Elvis for some strange reason. Uh, I'm not sure why Elvis got on there this year. There's one peculiarity about these murals, though. They're made out of real corn, real seeds, real grasses. And these outside murals are replaced each year with a new theme, partly due to creativity, but partly due to the fact that the birds eat the murals during the course of the year. That's what they do. Birds eat seeds, and they eat corn too. Now, what happened to those seeds? Easy to see what happened. The birds came and ate them. What's the explanation behind this? In verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one, the ultimate bird, if you will, comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. And the problem here, it says that the people were not understanding. It wasn't that they couldn't understand. It is that they wouldn't understand. They were not interested in what was going on. So this is a description of the one who is hardened, the one who is unresponsive, unconcerned, the one who is indifferent, the one who is indeed hostile to the gospel, like the gentleman in the first picture that I showed who refused to even think about or talk about buying a vacuum cleaner. This is the person who wants nothing to do with the gospel. It just bounces off him. And, of course, Satan pictured like the birds. Luke tells us about that. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. This is total rejection. This is not apathy or indifference or maybe getting cluttered by other things. This is total outright rejection. There were seeds that fell on rocky ground as well. What happened to those seeds? It says they landed on rocky ground. Picture the steps of the art museum if you want to think about rocky ground. There's a little double meaning there too. But this is not actually referring to a few rocks in the soil where they could go out and clear it up. They could take those away. This is talking about something far different. In Israel, the strata of limestone rock had cut through the land uh, in this case, it was no doubt lying just beneath the soil. The seeds immediately sprang up since there wasn't any depth to the soil. When the sun rose, they were scorched. They had no root. They withered away. There was no moisture there. Now, do they end up because of the fact that they sprang up? Or are we led to believe that maybe that this is describing believers? No, it's not. Explanation. Chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. The explanation is given. This describes the person who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself. He lasts for a while, but when the going gets tough, he falls away. He can't handle adversity. You may recall the vacuum cleaner, the one who couldn't take the adversity of when his wife got home and told him he couldn't have his vacuum cleaner. When the tribulation and persecution come, as they inevitably will, these kind of people show their true colors. Their true colors yellow. They run away. He counts the cost, and it's too expensive. This can be described as a superficial, impetuous people. There may be an enthusiastic response to the gospel at first, but it's all emotional. They're told that there's somebody who can do a lot of great things for them and say, I want to buy into that. But when reality sets in and they find out that they still have to work hard for their money and they find out that things don't go away that are problems in their lives, they're disillusioned because they really hadn't taken good root. They're shallow. They have an initial positive learning, but no saving faith. And again, today people were told to receive Christ. He'll take all your troubles away. They'll jump on Jesus' bandwagon for a little while, but then they'll jump right back off it, and they never took root. They've never been told they need to repent of their sins and trust Christ to change their lives. Underneath the apparently fertile topsoils is this unyielding rock of rebellion and resistance to the things of the Lord. This is delayed rejection, but it's rejection nonetheless. Thirdly, the seeds that fell among thorns. we see that in chapter 13, verse 7, and then in verse 22. What happened to those seeds? Well, we're told that what happened was the thorns grew up and choked them. The explanation, it comes in verse 22. Describes the person who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. I've got different priorities than allowing God's Word to take root in my life and live a Christian life. If you remember the vacuum cleaner salesman, again, it's the individual who decided, I would rather take the chance of getting a whole lot of money, forget about the vacuum cleaner, forget about the clean carpets, even though that is the ultimate in life to have clean carpets. I'm not interested. Even though the ultimate in life is to be able to have a ticket to heaven, people say, no, I'm not interested in that. I've got too many things to live for down here on this planet. Luke adds life's worries, riches, treasures which choke out the growth of God's word in lives. What a tragedy it is. You probably know people like that. I've seen them. They appear to have caught a little bit of the disease of Christianity, but not the full disease, just enough to inoculate them from getting the real disease. And so these people are in trouble as well. This whole group of people are in trouble. This is, again, delayed rejection to the sower and the seed of the word of God. I'm glad there was a fourth group, the seeds that fell on good soil, described in verse 8 and then the explanation in verse 23. What happened to those seeds? According to verse 8, they produced grain, or fruit, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. They were just multiplying on and on and on. They bore fruit. They did what they were supposed to do. The explanation describes the person who hears the word and understands. He bears fruit and has large yields. Thank the Lord again that there are people like this. Here's what Luke says. He says, as for that in the good soil... They are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. And as I said before, I would think that that would be a very constricted, narrow group of people who are in that category. In any group, I believe that it's possible all four of these seeds or soils, rather, are present. Our hearts will reflect what is there. And what's very important for us is to make sure that we examine our hearts to make sure that we're in the faith. Make sure we didn't have an emotional reaction. We um, decided to put our hand up or walk down an aisle years ago because several other people in a row did it or because I was moved emotionally. There's been no fruit since then. I haven't lived for the Lord. He's not a priority in my life. We've got to take stock and find out, did I really mean business? Did I just get a little bit of an inoculation? And now it's difficult for me to get the whole disease. As we look through this, remember the couple who bought the vacuum cleaner and then they told their friends and it just kept multiplying. Their friends told their friends and the vacuum cleaner business was was doing very, very well at that time. You notice what Jesus said in verse 9. He wanted to make sure that everyone was listening and paying attention. He said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, we've bookended this passage. We've seen the description of the four soils and the explanation of it. But there was something else that was there in verses 10 to 17, the enigma of the parables. Jesus stopped in the middle of the description and the explanation to give a little bit of wordage about the enigma of the parables. Because at first glance, if you look again at verses 10 through 17, You look at that and you may scratch your head a little bit they seem to be puzzling they seem to be a little bit out of character for Jesus because the statement seems to be saying that the purpose of the parables is that unbelievers those not in the crowd may not receive the truth and be converted seems to be saying that Jesus wants to keep them confused so they can't get saved There are only a few of you that I'm going to explain things to. You who are the disciples, the rest of them I am not because I don't really want them to be saved. Well, that's not what's happening at all. But a question is posed by the disciples in verse 10. Why do you speak to them in parables? Why don't you come right out and say what you're going to say? Why do you go through this this soil, the four soils and the sower and all this type of thing? The disciples seem to be in a privileged position look at verse 11 because the crowd doesn't seem to be there and he answered them to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven but to them it has not been given it almost looks like he's saying i picked you you're privileged i picked them to be unprivileged they don't have a chance that's why i speak in riddles so they can't understand i don't want them to understand That's why this appears to be puzzling, enigmatic, doesn't seem quite fair. What's going on? I call this the principle of light responded to or light rejected. Here's the principle. Those who respond to the light they have been given receive more light. Those who reject the light they have been given receive no more or at least a limited amount. The secret of the kingdom has been given to the disciples and those who wanted to hear more because they had responded in faith. They responded to the light they were given. They were drawn to Jesus. They followed Jesus. They gave up everything to follow Jesus. These other people were rejecting Jesus by and large after they got over the initial impact of his miracles and the sensationalism of who he was and what he did were rejecting him. Those who were already hardened by unbelief didn't want to hear any more. You look at verse 15 once again, an indication of willful rejection. Their eyes, they have closed. Nobody closed their eyes for them. They closed their own eyes. Verses 16 and 17 indicate a response to the light given. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So we've got people responding to the light, the illumination that God has given, and God gives more. Those who reject it, God says, why should I Why should I give them any more? Why would I give a spotlight to those who have rejected the pen light? Why would I give them more when they've already told me they don't want any more? This isn't favoritism. This is simply the principle of light responding to light. The Believer's Bible Commentary puts it this way, and I think this is, this is well done. Willful blindness is followed by judicial blindness. That is why he spoke to the Jews in parables. And then that quote goes on to quote someone else, H.C. Woodbring, put it so. Because they did not have the love of the truth, they would not get the light of the truth. John chapter 3 verse 12, Jesus said, if I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? That same principle. If you're rejecting what you're getting, I'll give it to someone else. You see it in Acts chapter 8 verse 26 and the verses that follow. There's Philip who is dramatically taken by God the Holy Spirit and placed in a, in a very remote area where some Ethiopian eunuch is on his way back to Ethiopia after having come to Jerusalem. He was what they call a God-fearer. He was looking to find out the things of the Lord. There he is in this remote area. Philip is in the middle of a great evangelistic campaign, and God takes him, plants him on the road to be in exactly the right spot because here is a man, it says, in his chariot, reading from Isaiah and wondering Who Isaiah is talking about, and no doubt he was in Isaiah 53, the suffering servant of Jesus. And and Philip came up with a divine appointment because this man was responding to light and God gave him more light. And he did it in a dramatic fashion. I believe this works that way all around the world. It is no accident the people to whom our missionaries are going or any other missionaries. We've had reports of when missionaries have gone to people in the most remote places in the world, and these people say, we've been waiting for you. God told us that you would be coming, that someone would be coming to tell us about how we can get to know him. So please, as you read through the enigma of parables in verses 10 through 17, don't feel there's unfairness that is going on there. That's simply people being rewarded and people being judged because of their own activity or their own actions. What happens to these people who look so promising and then fizzle out? Has such a person lost his salvation? No, he never had it. And that's why this is a sobering parable for us to look at. We see those who may have some hope, but it may not be a genuine hope because of something that happened that never took root, and there's no fruit to show for it. There's no following after God. First John two fifteen. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And that's why Jesus said in verse fifteen, If they turn, he will heal them. It's not too late. And that's that's the what we take great satisfaction in. Fruit bearing is the whole point of agriculture. It's also the ultimate test of salvation. If there's no spiritual fruit or the fruit is bad, the tree must be rotten. So bottom line, only one soil produces fruit. Rocky soil, thorny soil or pretenders. Soil on the path is an absolute rejecter of God. Fruit, not foliage, is the mark of true salvation. When you examine yourself, do you see Fruit. Or just a few leaves. Because if it's not fruit, it's not genuine. It's one of these three categories, but not the last one. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words of the Lord Jesus all through the scriptures, including in John 15, where we're told that we need to remain in the vine and then we'll be fruitful. We can't be just tasting and then discarding And my prayer would be for each one who is here, that as we look forward to celebrating communion, where it tells us to examine ourselves before we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, help us to truly do that now in light of these scriptures very pointed scriptures on the part of the Lord Jesus who was not trying to appease anyone. He was not trying to make everybody feel good by watering down the truth, but he was telling them that in this large crowd there are many, many of you who are deceived, many of you who may think that you're religious enough, but you're not because there needs to be fruit. There needs to be good soil. And I pray that you'd help us to be honest with ourselves and thoroughly enjoy celebrating what Jesus did for us when he saved us. We thank you in his name. Amen.